This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop, slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to bring in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. How are we doing? We're doing. Joe joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. So, Joe, you know I prefer after wins and you score 25 points. This is kind of disappointing. You know what I did just fine, though? What? I thought I was out of coffee beans, and I just found another pack of them in my box. So I'm extremely <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> oh, that's an opening. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, okay, my fault. I'll uh, try to work on that for next next week. Okay, that's good to know. So, uh, in in your view, now that you had time, what, where did it all go wrong in the third quarter? Because I think in the third quarter, Jazz fans are feeling pretty good, up by fifteen, and, and all the arrows were pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone, not in a um, in, in a bad way or anything, but I think we were we were all feeling good. We, we'd played well, obviously. Um, to to get a lead like that against a, a really good team, um, and I I think a part of it they they kind of threw kind of their their kind of one last punch. They they came in. They um, I think it started. I think Tory Craig hit a three off like a double team or, or whatever it was from Jokic or something like that. Um, that kind of got them going a little bit. We we had a couple um, missed shots. Uh, I think we had a turnover or two, and they kind of got out and um, not was having their last crack, obviously. But it was, uh, I think, if we were able to hold up around that time when it was was fifteen, if we can hold our defense up strongly, um, obviously make plays on the other end like we had for the whole game, and and kind of finish at the rim or, or with the three, um, uh, I think we kind of hold ourselves in a good position. But they made some shots and. Um, I think I think Coach Shadow or, or someone that did media yesterday just not getting distracted, but we were worrying about the referees a little bit. There was a couple of turnovers we haven't really had um, in the series, really, um, and they got themselves going. Obviously, Murray got himself going. Jokic hit some big shots, and um, yeah, it, it's some yeah. It's frustrating, obviously, because you had a chance if we kind of held on for that third quarter and kind of start of the fourth, you, you feel like you're in a decent position if you can hold on that. If you have a 15-point lead in the NBA game going into the fourth quarter, I think if someone said pre-game you, you could get that every game, you, you'd take it. So um, obviously stuff for us to, to watch today and, and learn, um, learn from and um, be ready for the next one. So in the two Denver wins, Jokic and Murray have just been sensational. And Murray's been having it going on, obviously. He had game they lost. He still was sensational. 
do you sort of look at it like uh, you know they are a good team and they they've got good players for that's the very reason so sometimes they get it going but there's no really sense of despair or panic on your behalf just do what you do yeah i think he going into it from from game 1 we we set it after game 1 we set it prior to game 1 um it's going to be a long series like even if you play just four games, it's still a long series. It's 10 days of, of playing basketball against the same team. Um, obviously, they, they were the third, I think they were third, 3-6, th- whatever it was. So third, they were the third team for a reason. They, they, they've got good players. They, they play good basketball and um, they can kind of dictate what they want to do. And I think, obviously, in that third quarter, they they did that a little bit. I think we'd done a really good job prior to that of... Um, Playing the the way we wanted to play, and and um, obviously on on the flip side a little bit, they they had nothing to lose. They were they were coming in throwing every punch to to, to stay and keep their season alive, and um, obviously they they played well and, and did that. And um, obviously it's, what is it three two now, and we go into the game six. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll watch the film today, practice and stuff like that, and. Um, Find some adjustments. Find find what we can do better, and um, and get ready for Thursday. So, when you're five games deep in a series and it's a long series, literally, when you're running down the sideline, you hear Mike Malone. Do you literally know every play call and everything he's saying? Is there anything he can say in any code that you can't figure out? I'm uh, not really at this point. Um, obviously, there's. I mean, if they go and put a, a new set in today, then, then we won't know stuff like that. But um, a lot of teams. I mean, you you do what you do because it's it's got you to to where you are. Um, we won however many games because of the way we play and the offense we run and the, obviously the players we've got. And, um, they they do the same thing. Um, I think for them a lot of it when when they when they feel the pressure or whatever it is they go into that two man game with with their with whatever, arguably their two best players, um, Murray and Jokic, and um, we, we've got different actions as well. What, what you feel comfortable in when when um, when you need a basket or you need a stop or whatever it is, you, you go to to what you're comfortable in. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's not much that I think either of us could call unless you're putting in some new stuff, but anything else that's being called out there, you, you have a fair idea of, of what it's going to be. Did you have an opportunity to hear what Paul George said after the game with the Clippers? Um, I caught honestly just a, just a few minutes of it this morning um, before you guys called, and um, you actually made me hang up. While I was talking to Miller on the phone, and you guys made me hang up to, to answer your call, so that kind of annoyed me. But um, no, I caught I caught five minutes of it this morning. I didn't listen to it; I just read kind of what it said, and um, that was about it. So far, I'll have a look at it a bit later well, today. Uh, just a quick quote, you know, I, I underestimated mental health, honestly. I had anxiety, a little bit of depression. Just being locked in here, I just wasn't there. I checked out. I'm wondering, you know, with the games are the games, but what's your reaction to that? Because, you know, you're dealing with it. I understand you had a child, had an injury while you're gone, and wife's expecting and the, all this stuff. I have my life. <laughs> yeah, how, 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 how are you dealing with all that? It's hard. Um I think he's uh, obviously after kind of hearing that from you, he's probably the first player that's publicly said something. Um, I, I mean, I'd put a lot of money on the fact that, that other people are dealing with the same thing. Um, 
And I mean, I don't know him personally. Obviously, we've we've had some some battles on the court, but um, I mean, he's got a family. He, he's got a, a a very regular life, I would imagine, outside of of all of this and outside of basketball in general. Um, and I don't think everybody fully understands that. I, I think a lot of people look at us as athletes, and and that's kind of it. Not that that's not necessarily the worst thing because being an athlete is is awesome, but they they don't like there's no context around like yeah i've got two kids and a wife who's pregnant and my son broke his arm two days ago like seeing him in hospital um seeing renee having to deal with that um she's there so she missed because of what happened with jacob she missed jacob's first uh, miller's first soccer practice which killed her as well because she felt like a bad bad mum or something a guilty guilty because she wasn't there at Miller's first practice and um, I'm trying to be there for Jacob as much as you can on, on FaceTime and trying to speak to Miller before she goes to the soccer practice for the first time and obviously Renee is trying to deal with both and I'm sitting in a in a room with still no window that doesn't open um, and I think it, yeah I think it, it's taken out of um, the real world a little bit it's like we, we all have lives uh, whether it's like George Niang kind of by himself in Utah like he, he lives by himself but he's still got a life there. he's got friends he's got family that comes in um, I mean my situation is, is is pretty well known with my kids and stuff and, and how close we all are and stuff like that and it's it's hard you, there's, there's days that you sit in your room and I mean the kid's birthday for me was one that was um, obviously it was pretty early on when we were here but it was it was horrible to, to first birthday I missed obviously they were only turning four so it's not like I've I've been to 20 straight years of their birthday but but even just that for me was, was a big deal and um I told the guys previous to coming don't come and don't mess with me on the, the 25th because I won't be in a in a good mood so um I think it's I think it's cool that, that he has come out and, and said something I think a lot of people are feeling that way um and I think what's What's helped me is obviously speaking to them as, as often as I can, getting out of the room. Um, I've started reading, which I've probably never done in my life before. Um, but just to, to try and keep your mind active, to, to get outside, to, to stay active as, as active as you can. So aside from any event, which, you know, your kid getting hurt or a birthday or something like that, which would obviously make it a tough day, I was just wondering if it was just like the day in and the day out of being in the bubble, in the same building, seeing the exact same people. It's kind of like the movie Groundhog Day, unless the playoffs have put a new kind of um, energy into it and kind of fired people up and given you a new focus. Or is it really Groundhog Day? And even without something dramatic happening, is that wearing guys down? I, I think so. Uh, I think... Um well, I think I said it to you guys a few weeks ago. Like we've talked about it, the the teams that can. There's going to be a lot of either individuals or teams um, that at points of this, like it might be um, a long period of time, it might be a short period of time. But there's going to be times that guys are checked out. That guys don't want to be here. Um, like you said, it might be a birthday, it might be something, but there's going to be days that guys don't want to be here. <laughs> like I've said it before, I don't want to see my teammates every single day. Like I want to be with my, my family. I 
I love my team. I love our camaraderie. We, we've probably got one of the closest groups in, in the bubble or in the league. Um, still doesn't mean I want to see him 24-7, <laughs> seven days a week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. And then, obviously, the playoffs, are, I guess it gives you a little bit um, kind of different perspective and, and energy because you are kind of playing for something else now. Um Obviously, the seeding games, we were doing all kinds of things, resting, and guys were beat up a little bit and injured, so you, you kind of get through that. And then once the playoffs start, obviously, it's exciting. Like That's what we play for. We, we want to we want to win. We want to be a part of a winning team and culture and all that. But um, then you see what's going on in, in the real world again. I think Fred Van Vliet said some stuff. Donovan, uh, a lot of guys have commented on I saw Doc's... Um, post-game press conference or whatever it was, um, press thing. And then you look back, it's like we're in this bubble playing basketball and, and there's so many other <laughs> bigger issues going on than kind of what we did on defense last night. And, and I'm not taking anything away from the game or anything because we, we do love it and we do all that. But there's there's so much going on that um, it, it's hard not to think about stuff because, you, like you said, you're stuck in this room for for a long part. Obviously, we can get out, we can do numerous little things. It's, it's not the worst place in the world to be, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of time to think. We've seen the guys on the benches on whatever team. I've been watching a lot of the games, you know, not specific to yours, but basically across the league, the teams are still playing. The guys on the bench are animated. You'd think that's trying to maybe replace they don't have a crowd, so get your guys fired up as if you're not in the game at the time? Yeah, I mean, you've got to try and find your own kind of energy, I guess. Um, it's a it's a it's a weird situation playing. I think everyone's kind of got as comfortable as you can with with no fans or anything like that. But um, I mean, regardless, we're, I mean, <laughs> if we were playing, uh, well, not last night, but the previous two games before that, we've got twenty thousand people in Vivint, and the the guys that have been on the Jazz in the playoffs know know what that feels like. Right now, we would have been waking up in Utah to, to play game six at home. And um, not that we're not confident, but you'd be like to, to wake up and play game six in front of your fans. If Again, if they told you that in the preseason, you get a, a game six up three to at home in Utah, you'd be like, you'd take that every day of the week. So you, you try and find your own energy. And, and obviously a part of that is, is your own team. You've got to you've got to do it yourself to a certain extent, um, and then yeah, you've got I don't know how many guys we got what thirty five people here or whatever we were allowed to have. So between them, you, you try and um, when you're on the bench or playing or I mean, we got guys um, a few people that don't sit behind the bench that sit opposite kind of the scorers table. Um, there's two sections where the the Denver people sit and our guys sit and they they can kind of cheer a little bit, but. Um, yeah, you got to find your own find your own energy a little bit here. Joe Ingles joining us here on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. So, uh, are you just are you totally in a groove in those games, just from game to game, because you don't have that home and road, or do you, or do you miss that not getting cheered one night in game four and not getting booed in game five and then not looking forward to getting <laughs> cheered in game six. I mean, because that, that kind of stuff tends to affect the flow of a series in normal times, and obviously it's not impacting sure. the series now. No, no, you don't. I mean, I miss it. I've 
been lucky enough to play, I don't even know how many years consecutive in in the playoffs. And um, obviously half those kind of games have been in Utah. Like I said, I mean, regular season, I've always said, well, I think we've got unbelievable fans that, I mean, we sell out. They're always into the game and, and fairly knowledgeable, um, except for when they yell, me, yell at me to shoot. But um, then in the playoffs, it's like a whole new, <laughs> it's like a whole new arena. It's, it's unbelievable how, how loud it is. And I mean, who knows if we're up 15 in, in Denver, do their crowd go quiet and they're out of the game and that, that, that affects them? Um, maybe someone talks some junk to Donovan in the front row and just gets him <laughs> fired up. Like, there's so many things that happen when there's a crowd there. Um, like I said, we, we would have been waking up today in Utah. I would have been out to hang out with my kids. I would have gone in for shoot around or whatever we would have done, and um, we would have been rolling into to Vivid tomorrow night to, to play at home. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it is what it is. Obviously, we're, we're here, and like I said, guys are as as comfortable as you can be and um, obviously at this point of, of the season you, you're doing whatever you can to for us to, to win game six so for the next 36 hours um, whatever it is 48 hours 36 hours until the game we'll, we'll prepare and recover and do everything we need to do to be ready and then get there and um, kind of give everything we've got to, to close it out tomorrow. Yeah, and we, I think we saw with Denver, you know, the sense of desperation and urgency because obviously it was an elimination game for them. Now, it's not technically an elimination game for you guys, but, you know, you probably don't want a game seven in that situation and anything can happen. So how do you handle the sense of urgency and desperation to make sure you're matching what Denver is putting out there and their sense of urgency? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, for me, it, it's like a it's a two part thing. You you want to play desperate. You want you want to play every possession like it's like it's the last one. Like it is a game seven. You, you want to put everything you've got into it, every single possession. Like like we've done for for a lot of this series. Um, we've had a couple lapses. Maybe that first game there was um, we've we've probably had some in the the three in between, but but not as not as much or not as long a stretch. Um, and then obviously we had some in that third quarter last night, which kind of got them back in the game. But uh, I think you, you, you want to play desperate, but you want, you want to be confident. You, I mean, we, we got a 3-1 lead for a reason. Um, we, we were playing good basketball. We were playing the, the way we wanted to play. Um, our defense was nice. We were, we were moving the ball offensively, making our shots. Um, obviously, Donovan... Had an unbelievable game, but I, I don't think we, as much as we, we expect him to score and help our team, we, we can't just rely on him. We, we've got other guys, so we um, he'll always be great. But we've all got to got to play confidently. Um, like I said, we we got to the the lead we had in terms of three one for, for a reason, um, and so we've got to play desperate. You've got to play every possession because that's what they're going to do. They're going to play desperate. They're going to play like they've got nothing to lose. Um, probably play freely because for them, they they can. Um, I don't think that pressure is necessarily on us, but um, yeah, I, I think for me, it's it's playing desperate but playing confident too because you don't want to you don't want to go into it feeling pressured or or anything like that. It's a it's a series. We we said from prior to game one, it was going to be a long series, and you, you you prepare for that and adjust along the way we've got one of the best coaches if, if not the best coach at, at adjustments and, and preparation and um, 
like I said, we'll, we'll watch the film today, um, get some shots up and, and get what guys need to do to be ready and, and go out tomorrow and um, do what we need to do to win. So is Quinn more clinical in this situation, or is he more fiery and passionate? How, how does he handle this kind of deal? Oh, probably, a little, honestly, a little bit of both. Um, I think there's time in, in – I mean, I'm sure he, he watched the whole game back last night after the game and got fired up over things that he knows we can do and knows we could do better or um, things that we didn't do. Um, but he's also got a, an understanding of, uh, again, we, we got a, a 3-1 uh, lead or whatever it was for, for a reason. Um, so if we stick to, to how we want to play, how we want to defend, how we want to play offensively, um, obviously it's, it's put us in a good spot before. So um, you, uh, I have no doubt we'll, we'll feel that confidence from him going into the game. Um, we'll feel it today. Um, but it's also not taking it lightly. You don't want to just brush it off like it was nothing. We, we had a 15-point lead and we and we lost it. I think we ended up losing by 8 or 10 or whatever it was in the end. So um, that's a decent turnaround in, in 18 minutes or whatever it was, 19 minutes. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you don't want to take it uh, take it lightly. You, you, you take it, you own it. Um, we're all going to obviously see some things on there that make us mad. Um, but like I said, we'll watch it, we'll own it, and... Um, use it to, to prepare and get better for the next one. Well, as always, we appreciate it, and uh, good luck uh, ordering the next bag of beans online or having someone mail them to you. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'll always be stocked with that, no worries. Yeah, we don't, we don't want you to run out. That'd be cranky, Joe. We don't want to deal with that guy. <laughs> you definitely don't want that. <laughs> Especially not for morning radio. Yeah, right. All right, thank you, Joe. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, guys. Joe Ingles joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Eric Walden covers the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune. He will join us next to look ahead to Game 6. Stay with us. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net. Presented by Zions Bank. On 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jamal Murray leads Denver with 42 points, and the Nuggets beat the Jazz 117-107 to force a Game 6 tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock on ESPN and AT&T Sportsnet. Clippers are up 3-2 on the Mavericks after a 154-111 route. Paul George with 35 points after the game. He said he'd been dealing with mental health challenges in the bubble. He says, I underestimated mental health. Honestly, I had anxiety, a little bit of depression, just being locked in here. I just wasn't there. I checked out. Games two, three, and four, I wasn't there. He was there for game five with 35 points. Three playoff games today. Magic and Bucks at 2 on NBA TV. Thunder and Rockets at 4.30 on TNT. And then the Blazers and the Lakers. The Lakers up 3-1 trying to close that series out at 7 o'clock. Your Back to Basketball update is presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. Now let's get this party started. 
This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. What do they sell cocaine by nowadays? So you can get 20 lines from a single gram. For a heavy user, cocaine addiction can cost about $120 a day. So yeah, if you're dropping 20 lines a day, you got a problem. This is going to cause a rift. say, if you're dropping 20 lines a day, you have a problem. I think if you're dropping a line a day, you've got a problem. I don't think it takes to get 20 uh, lines. Serious problem. <laughs> if you're around 10, then no, you're, you're okay. No, this little chart. They said you're good. You probably have a problem if you're doing any lines. Of course. But no lines is acceptable. Hey, I'm telling you right now, there's some listener out there that's doing 5 to 10 lines a day, and he's like, yep, Scotty's right. See, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. <laughs> so the unintended consequences of me reading that on the air is that somebody out there is like, eh, I'm good. This better not end up as a promo. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. We're joined now by Eric Walden, covers the Utah Jazz for the Salt Lake Tribune. Here to talk about what went wrong in Game 5 and what the Jazz can fix so they can wrap this thing up in Game 6. Eric, good morning. How's it going, sir? Going all right. We know where it went wrong. It went wrong in the third quarter, and then it went really wrong in the fourth quarter when they lost. But what went wrong? From Jamal Murray going off to the Jazz getting zero fast break points in the second half and only scoring 44 points after halftime, uh, you know, only forcing nine turnovers. There's a lot of things you could look about, and maybe it's not the stats. Maybe it's just the attitude, the body language. They thought they had it. In your mind, what went wrong in Game 5? Yeah, th- there were a few things. I mean, first off, they got that 15-point lead, and, and it felt to me like just watching them like they got a little comfortable. You know, the, the, there's the proverbial statement that maybe took their foot off the gas a little bit. And, I mean, you know, yeah, you start having a few. All, all it takes in this league is a couple bad possessions in a row, and Denver responds with that 14-3 to run to get right back in it. And, and for the rest of the game, you know, it was a it was a dogfight, as, as it were, you know. So, yeah, first off, getting a little too comfortable going up 15. And then I think we saw a few things from the Nuggets that we hadn't seen before, you know, especially with that, that uh, fourth-quarter defense. We saw them getting up a little higher on the floor, uh, really trapping, you know, trying to trap Donovan as a ball handler, kind of take the ball out of his hands, make someone else beat them. Uh, We saw Jamal Murray have just another epic game. I mean, you know, the game's still tied at 101 with, you know, three and change to go. And next thing you know, he's hitting four shots in a row for nine points, and and it's 110-101. And... um, you know, it, it was just, I, I wrote about this in my story for the Tribune today. It was it was a series of just little things that all seemed to compound one another. You know, Royce O'Neal having that sequence where uh, he had a wide open three. You know, Donovan Mitchell, someone, someone passed him the ball. He's the wide open three. He hesitates. He gets gun shy. You know, he hesitates again. And, and the next thing you know, he travels. And, and what could have been three points. Uh, becomes a waste of possession. Um, you know, that, that inbound play where I don't know what he was thinking, but he didn't stick with with uh, Jamal Murray there. You know, just this, this constant this constant uh, bunch of little things that piled up. You know, Roy's picking up fouls four and five in, in quick succession, and the Jazz having to put uh, Donovan Mitchell onto Jamal Murray, you know, defensively which I think we can all agree kind of uh, he needed to expend enough energy to 
you know, in guarding him that it took away from his offense. He, he didn't seem to have that same closing kick that we've seen out of him in previous games. So, you know, just a whole bunch of little things that I think are all solvable, I think are fixable. You know, I think uh, Quinn will be will be pointing each and every one of those things out today in, in a film session probably. And, um, you know, I think I think it's nothing that isn't fixable for a team that has been just pretty brilliant offensively this series. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there too. And then you factor in that Jokic was, at least from three-point land, had never been better. And Murray continues to be out of his mind. And maybe he comes down to earth a little bit. So it gives you a, what, what would you say, a, a sense of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know if it's encouragement or op- maybe optimism, optimism as far as game six goes. Yeah, you know, I think you have to, I think you have to agree with that. You know, uh, it, it seems easy to say, well, hey, you know, you look at this, this Denver roster and who other than Jokic and Murray is consistently hurting the Jazz, and the answer is no one. So, you know, from there you, you extrapolate, okay, we'll just sell out to stop those two guys, which sounds easy in theory, and, and then you realize that these guys are, are not automatons. They're living, breathing, capable, functional basketball players who have the ability to adapt to what they see in front of them, and, and they've been pretty brilliant at that. That said, yeah, you know, the fact that Michael Porter Jr. Uh, is a sieve defensively and is not – consistent enough on the other end to make the Jazz pay for it is encouraging. The fact that, you know, supposed Donovan stopper Tory Craig has not been much of a Donovan stopper at all and, and you know, is sometimes uh, not unplayable, but, you know, they want to limit his minutes because he's not really much of an offensive threat. That's encouraging. You know, Monte Morris has, has some capability, but we haven't seen a ton out of him. Uh, it really doesn't seem likely that Gary Harris is going to be coming back, and, and even if he does, you know, what's the likelihood that he's capable of, of you know, kind of taking things to the next level for Denver at this point after not having played since March? You know, all of these things are encouraging signs for the Jazz. Uh, now it comes down to, you know, can you actually stop Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic when you need to? You know, it's, it's obviously hard, easier said than done. You know, you you follow basketball, you watch games for years, and you get used to, you know, some of the numbers and what a game should look like. And this series has just been off the charts. And I wonder how much of it is just, it's one series, you know, Bogdanovich is out, so Donovan's got to go off. And Denver's missing two key defensive guys, so it makes it easier to go off. But to see multiple 50-point games and multiple 30- and 40-point games on top of that, to see the two Denver stars, 11 of 19 from three, who does that? Well, it turns out Mike Conley earlier in the series, he had two games where he shot a combined 67%. It's like we're seeing a bunch of stuff that isn't normal unless it's the new normal and how the game is evolving or maybe just one-off circumstances with some of these injuries. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, the Jazz the Jazz score 107 points last night, and it drops them from first to third in, in NBA playoff scoring, you know. Uh, the, the Clippers putting up 154 last night also contributed to that, and, and the Raptors putting up 150 the day before that uh, helped as well. So, yeah, there's there's a little bit of that going around. But, I mean, y- you make an interesting point, you know, like uh, – when we found out back in May that Boyan Bogdanovich was going to be out 
for you know the duration. Did any of us foresee this this kind of offensive explosion coming from the Utah Jazz? I know I certainly didn't. Uh, this was something I brought up to Quinn the other day. You know, I asked him, I'm like, hey, clearly you've been saying all along that, you know, without Boyan, you needed to kind of adjust things the way you play, certain schemes, certain sets, certain responsibilities for other guys, you know, and, and obviously he made uh, quite a bit out of, you know, playing the rookies during those seeding games, trying to find, you know, some new rotations that would work, some, some guys capable of maybe stepping up and, and filling small roles. Um, you know, after speaking about all of that, I asked him, you know, like, did you see this coming? Like, what, what has worked so well? You know, I don't think anyone saw this coming. And, and he brought up the fact that, uh, you know, really what's, what's gone well for the Jazz during the stretch has been, uh, their ability to get out and run and push the pace and get points in transition and, and put pressure on opposing defenses, you know, not allow the Nuggets to get uh, set up. You know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about how the Nuggets have been pretty atrocious defensively for the bulk of the series. Well, that's not simply because Harris and Barton have been out, and that's not simply because, you know, this this is an organization that's inept on that end. Uh, the Jazz are, are having a lot to do with that with the way they've been playing. And, you know, I, I think that the fact that they – quote unquote only dropped in 107 points last night and, and kind of struggled down the stretch is an encouraging sign for uh, for their prospects going forward. You know, then again, uh, Denver's not going to give up. Uh, and, and even should the Jazz advance, we're seeing them as, you know, as I mentioned previously, a lot of other teams doing this. So, you know, everyone take that with a grain of salt. But, um yeah, I, I think we have to consider what we've seen out of this Jazz team thus far to be just crazy successful, right? Oh yeah, to this point, yeah, certainly you would, you everyone would take it. I mean, we just had Joe Ingles in talking about, well, you three two, of course, of course you would take that uh, as far as that goes uh, under the circumstances. Although I do think it's a it's a little bit of a wash with the injury situation. You can actually argue, potentially, you can go back and forth on this if you want, but you can argue that Denver is in a worse situation because of the injuries. But nevertheless, you know, this series has been wildly entertaining with a lot of twists and turns, and then you play in the psychological angle, and there isn't the home court in the seventh game, so that obviously... Uh, limits it and devalues it a little bit, the psychological game. But do you feel like the pressure is on the Jazz, maybe more so to win game six because they don't want a game seven? Or just what I said, hey, each game is having its own life and you're not having to go back to Denver. You're going to the um, same place you've been going to for weeks now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm probably going to weasel out a little bit and, and say, you know, there's there's components of each of those in there. I think right. there certainly is, is more pressure on the Jazz in Game 6 than there was in Game 5. You know, you get up 3-1 in a series, and, and you're effectively playing with house money. You know, the opposing team's got to win three straight games. But all of a sudden, you lose Game 5 in, in a game where you were looking pretty good for a while. You know, you get up 15 in the third quarter, you're looking strong to close them out, and then you kind of just fall apart in certain components yeah there, there's a residual effect to that and you can bet that they're going to come out a little more focused uh in game six i would expect you know which is not to say they weren't focused in game five but uh you know 
Quinn came right out and said following the game, there there were moments where we lost our composure. Um, and, and that hadn't, you know, that isn't representative of what they'd done previously. So, you know, there, there definitely is that aspect to it. And then on the other hand, as you said, yeah, you know, you're playing in a neutral environment. And having been down there for a week or so earlier, I, you know, I'm not there anymore, but I went down to cover the team's first two seeding uh, games. And just having experienced, you know, uh, sitting in that environment, it is, it is, you know, definitely more sterile than, than playing in, you know, Vivint Smart Home Arena or playing in the Pepsi Center. Um, you know, they do what they can. They throw in the bells and whistles. You know, they, they, they throw in some crowd noise. They throw in, you know, kind of the, the game off stuff, you know, the, the music while the game is happening. Um, they have the, the PA announcer. They do all these things to try and as closely mimic you know, in a, a regular in-game environment, but it, ultimately it comes down to the fact that you notice that there is not anyone there, you know, that it's just the basketball teams and, and some game crew and a few media people, and you don't have that same energy, and you don't have that same kind of aura and environment, and it becomes something that these players have to kind of manufacture for themselves. You know, I mean... I know we'd all love to believe that uh, players play their, you know, 100% hardest every single game. But, you know, I, I think we can realistically acknowledge that, that you know, feeding off crowd energy is a legitimate thing for a lot of these guys. And they don't have that here. So, you know, obviously it's the playoffs. And, and they're not going to not take these games seriously. You know, they're going to come out and give it what they've got. But, you know, we don't know how that, how that environment factors into it. You know, it, it is neutral. It is sterile to some degree. And it's definitely a thing. It, it has an impact. Um, yeah, them playing this game in Lake Buena Vista tomorrow will be different, far different than, than if they were at the Viv, you know. So I'm curious, when you're in that building, is it like a big warehouse or something? Donovan Mitchell ran off the court chasing loose ball, and it looked like he could have run forever, but the camera didn't par- pan that far. So I didn't know if the, the video walls they set up are, you know, 20 feet in front of a wall or 80 yards in front of a wall. What, what are they playing in? There, it, it's not quite that big, but you do definitely notice, you know, there, there is some considerable space along each sideline, along each baseline. You know, there's there's definitely uh, several more feet, and in some cases, several more yards of space than there ordinarily would be. Um, so yeah, the the dimensions themselves are are a little different. The sight lines, I would imagine, are very different. So yeah, it's, there's definitely some weirdness, but it, it's not quite as cavernous as you would maybe get the impression that it would be. But um, yeah, I mean, th- there's no getting around that that you know all the seats. Are, are tucked in on one side of the arena, you know, and, and they've brought down this video board with fans and whatever, and it's just different. You know, it, it's just so quiet compared to what it normally is that there's there's no getting around it. There's no not noticing it and being affected by it. So we've seen, obviously, social issues have taken the, a forefront in a lot of ways, and most of the time, correct me if I'm wrong, 
But as I see it, most of the time, no one's the media isn't giving these coaches and players questions. They're just taking an answer and then saying, well, first of all, I'm going to comment on this and that. Um, and the media's job a lot of times is to ask tough questions. But I don't really see any follow-up questions to when these guys make these statements. It's like we just we take them. Doc Rivers, you know, he went out the, the Republican Party and – and that's it. And there's no real follow-up. How comfortable would you be asking a follow-up question that might challenge the prevailing line of thinking? Yeah, it, it's a tough situation, uh, PK, just because the setup that we have now, you know, in terms of everything being conducted via Zoom, um, Everyone goes into these media sessions, and and I will say there have been like a few questions from media regarding those situations that you bring up the social justice situation. Um, it, it tends to happen a lot more during off day practices. So, like you know, I don't know that there will be any today in today's jazz session, for instance, just because uh, we spent the last couple of days asking Quinn, asking Donovan, you know, talking to uh, Jordan Clarkson, kind of about the, the Jacob Blake shooting. The reason you're not seeing any kind of follow-up to that is some of these media sessions are just so incredibly limited. You know, you get um, me, you get my Tribune coverage partner, Andy Larson, you get Sarah Todd from the Deseret News, you get Tony Jones from The Athletic. You get Ryan McDonald from the Deseret News, Ryan Miller from KSL. Uh, you get, you know, Fox 13 guys. You get uh, maybe DJ hops on there. Um, you know, you've got all these people wanting to ask questions specific to the game, specific to certain situations. And, you know, they're hustling these players in and out in, in you know, five to eight minutes worth. And there just often is not a ton of time uh, to ask a pointed follow-up like that, you know. Um, I would love to sit down and have some one-on-ones with these guys just to kind of pick their brains on certain things, you know. I, I, I would love to ask Donovan Mitchell, hey, you know, you, you've beaten the drum pretty significantly on this Breonna Taylor situation. You know, you, you keep bringing up uh, David Cameron needs to arrest the cops. Where does this situation go for you in the event that that those police officers from Louisville don't wind up being arrested? You know, how does where do you go from there? Where do you turn your focus to at that point? I haven't been able to have that conversation yet, you know, and, and hopefully I get to ask them that question at some point. But it's just such a weird situation all around in terms of, you know, our, our access to them and you know, the fact that we've got uh, newsprint to fill and, and websites to fill. And, you know, we have to write certain, you know, we have to write gamers and sidebars and off-day stories. And, and we have to make sure that, you know, I'm getting in one question to each guy. Usually, <laughs> no, you know, you so are it, getting in. Eric, you are getting in one question to each guy. I get, right, in, yeah. I get in one question total after the game last night. I had well, I clicked on raised hand for Quinn, and they they open with Kristen Kenny from the Jazz, and then it's right. the Trib, and then it's the D News, and then it's the Athletic, and then it's KSL.com, and they're done. There there was yep. no anybody from TV or anybody from radio. 
And, you know, right. you can go on and on about we're the flagship station, so our, our coverage is biased. There is no post-game question from 1280 The Zone. Yeah. And they mute, yeah. people don't know this, but they mute your mic. So, you know, I can yell at my computer all, my, all I want. Nobody in Florida's hearing me, you know? And so I get one question with one player. The two players go at the same time in a normal post-game locker room. You and I would probably talk to, what do you think, three or four players? Yeah, at, at a minimum three. And now it's... Two- they did kind of change the situation up um, where, yeah, they were having guys go one at a time in front of a, a, a backdrop in the locker room, and they would always get three. And then if there was another guy kind of lingering around his locker in the interim... You might you grab know, him. Yeah, right, we, were, yeah. we were able to go talk to them. But yeah, now you're absolutely right. It's, you know, it's like two players at the same time, and you have to pick right. which feed you want to go on, and you have to guess when they're going to show up. If you guess wrong, it would be possible to shuttle back and forth and miss them both. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and you're right. You know, that's another, that's another component to it. Like last night, we know that Quinn is always going to lead off. And so, yeah, the Jazz provide two post-game Zoom links for those people who are curious. And Quinn always is the first person to speak. He comes on the first Zoom link. Um, the Jazz will usually reach out to certain media people uh, kind of late in the fourth quarter asking, okay, based on how the game has gone, who do you want to talk to? And it's Quinn and it's two players. So right off the bat, you know, we're, we're starting off with one player fewer than what we normally get. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, um, we're we're cutting this off at, at you know five to eight minutes, and not everyone who's there is getting a question. You know, not that that was always the case. You know, in post game locker room situations and in more normal times. But yeah, you know, I recognize that I'm lucky. I get I have a little bit of privilege. I think um, there's a little bit of pecking order, maybe in terms of. Perhaps, uh, you know, organizations who, who travel to cover the team on a semi-regular basis. I mean, not so much now at the moment, but, you know, when, when things are normal, they maybe get a little bit of preference in terms of getting to ask more questions than other people do. And like you said, even with that, that guarantees me one question per player, you know, one question per player. Like, in normal times, like, yeah. I'm getting to maybe ask those follow-ups that we're not seeing now. So coverage is just weird, and I don't want this to sound like a complaint. You know, every it, it's weird all around. And I've had lots of conversations with jazz PR people about this, and I know that, you know, to some degree they're put in an impossible situation. So I do appreciate the job they're doing. I don't mean this to sound like a complaint. I'm merely pointing out it, there's weirdness, and, it, and it's different. And there's no getting around that. Thanks for the insight, Eric. Appreciate it. Eric, yeah, thank, thank, thanks for coming on and, uh, and talking with us about uh, everything, from the size of arenas to media access to what the heck happened in the third quarter. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Eric Walden, you can read him in the Salt Lake Tribune, sltrib.com, and follow him on Twitter as well. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's been a long four months. Welcome back. Oh, 
Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions, backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at Syringa Networks. Dot net. Just head on Joe Ingles and Eric Walden back to back. What happened in game five? What has to happen in game six? And PK, if you had to sum up the two of those, I'd say there's still a fair amount of optimism, despite the fact the second half got ugly. Uh, yeah, I have it. I agree with that. Absolutely. I agree with what you just said, that I, I think they should have a form of optimism because you look at what Denver did. They had to have players play at elite levels. And the game, as you have already said multiple times, was in the balance with three minutes to go. To me, that bodes well for the Jazz. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but it bodes well as we try to forecast what we think might happen. And as much as we focus on the offense and the shooting, and we have to because it has been outstanding in this series, multiple guys have stat lines that are just freakish. They're just so good. But, boy, you look at a box score and you watch the game and you think no Fast break points for the Jazz in the second half, and they only forced nine turnovers in the game. Now, they had 13 points in transition in the first half. They were doing it. It can be done because they did it in the first 24 minutes. And if they'd sustained it the rest of the game, we might be sitting here talking about how the series is over. But they didn't, so it isn't. But if there were one thing to tweak and to fix, I'd probably start there. There's more than one thing to tweak and fix, but I would probably start there. You need more deflections. You need more steals. You need them to have empty possessions so their guys who are hot aren't shooting every possession. Plus, you need the easy points at the other end of the floor. Damn, I mean, no matter what time of year, my body temperature rises when you break it down like that. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.